Uh, we're glad to have you today. We're in the book of the Revelation, and uh, we went talked about the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna last week, and today we're at Pergamum. And uh, I want to read to you and get right into it. You know, we didn't know that uh, Russia was going to invade Ukraine. Uh, when we started this, I just felt an urgency to move from uh, Joshua over to the book of Revelations. And uh, then all this began to happen. And uh, my son, I was down to see my son in Knoxville, one of my sons. And he said, uh, Dad, what do you think about this uh, Russia and and this deal with Ukraine. I said, well, son, it's in the Bible. It's in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Gog and Magog, that in the end times, they're going to become rattled again, and they're going to start trying to possess and take other uh, land. And uh, you never know. Uh, people want to know, is, is this the beginning of World War III? We don't know. We know that when Hitler, uh, when he moved down against Poland and he was unopposed, nobody really did anything, it gave him, it, something took over him to the point that he figured he could just keep going. And uh, so some very uh, difficult times. We pray for the, the churches and the people in, in Ukraine as well as the people in Russia. God's got churches all over the world. And so we want to be concerned about all of that. I want to get into the Bible real quick here and, and let's look at uh, Revelations 2 and uh, verse 12. And we'll be putting it up here as well. To the angel of the church at Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual, sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some hidden manna, and also I give him a white stone with the name written on it, uh, with the name written on it, known only to him who receives it. This, uh, as we've been looking at these churches, if we were to go to the beginning of the book of Revelations, we, you know, we just said we we're going to deal with the seven churches of Asia Minor, but this is not Revelations, this is the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So every time it tells you about a church, it tells you, it reveals something else about Jesus Christ. So the book of Revelation is primary to, uh, to give us another revealing or revelation. It's not a concealed book. It's a book that is to be revealed. There's kind of a key to understanding the book of Revelation. If we don't get the key, it's kind of hard to uh, understand it. Uh, he says here that... Uh, he said, you know, he tells them, I'm the first and the last and forevermore. He tells us in, in the book of Revelation that these that he's going to be telling us about things that that was and is and is to come. And so when you think about Jesus, he was before time. He's all in the Old Testament. He was here on earth 
in, in the flesh made by Mary. He was God in the flesh. He knows when we go through stuff. He knows what it feels like to go through stuff in the flesh. Uh, Jesus, uh, he died on a cross. He uh, was buried and resurrected on the third day. And uh, he, he come forth with great power and anointing. Uh, so when you look at all this, when Jesus speaks, the only difficult part of the book of Revelation is, is he talking about what was, is he talking about what is, or is he talking about what is to come? Because to him, it's just one visual thing. You can see it. You ever been talking to especially an old person, they'll start talking about something, you go, what are you talking about? And if you think they're talking about right now, they could be talking about 40 years ago. <laughs> Because it just flows all together. They were there when that happened, so they know what happened back then. And when you begin to look at these stories, uh, he says, uh, uh, God is saying, I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. Uh, he says, you know, I, I get it. I know exactly what you're going through. And uh, he says, write down what, what, is, what is now and what will take place later. You flip over to chapter 4, the verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. After this, I looked, and therefore before me was a door standing open in heaven, and a voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, come up here, and I will show you things that must take place hereafter. Well, in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, the church is uh, called out by name 20 times. After Revelation, after chapter, uh, the third chapter, the word church is not mentioned anymore. He's not directing any information to the church. He's not talking about the church. He's not giving the church direction or warning or anything else. And so I believe that we can uh, assume that this is the point that the church is uh, raptured away. The Bible says there will be a rapture in the twinkling of an hour will be snatched up. And uh, we will go and meet the Lord in the air, and there'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a special invitation. And the white stone, uh, there he tells us the problem. The problem is they're living in where Satan's, uh, the, the throne of Satan. They were worshiping so many false gods there in Pergamum. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to... Uh, have the the devil in your city, and it's another thing to have the devil in your church. Well, what had become part of the city was now beginning to be taught in the church. Uh, and so this story can be told, uh, like right now we've been talking about the seven churches of Asia Minor. We could tell it as what was. In other words, we could tell you about what happened right then. There really was a church called Ephesus. And you can go see the ruins. There really was a church called Smyrna, and you can go see the ruins. There really was a church called Pergamum, and you can go see the ruins. But yet there was a period of time, this, 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 these seasons of the church, basically you could go back and look at them over a 2,000-year period. And you could go back and look at, you know, when the church first started out, they were a powerful church. And, you know, the, uh, the, the timing of God You'll, you'll always see that church of Ephesus thought they were rich, and the Bible said they were poor. So appearances are not always right. The church of Smyrna, they thought they were poor, but actually they were rich according to God. God's looking at what is, not what appears to be what is. And so 
uh, the, the church at Ephesus, they were a great church on doctrine, but they had lost the first love. And normally losing your first love for God, the first love to get into your Bible. You remember when you first got saved, you wanted to get in the Bible. You, you wanted to come to church. You wanted to be in fellowship of other believers. You didn't want to be dabbling around in the world because you had this burning love for God. Well, they lost their first love. Well, there was a period of time the church was on fire. The, the church age of, of God, the, it was you could have thought about all the times that this great church age would happen, but Rome, the Greeks, the Roman Empire was going, and the Rome was so powerful, there was no wars. Actually, a lot of people liked Rome being in charge. There was nobody, they're equal to cause wars. They just ruled with an iron uh, you know, hand. And so Rome, uh, as, as it spread out, they had made these Roman roads. You could, go, you could just cross the country very quickly because they'd made these elaborate roads. And so when the gospel come and, and God, uh, Jesus takes authority over death, hell, and the grave, and uh, he's raised from the dead, and he said, Go tarry in Jerusalem until you'll receive power from on high. And the Holy Spirit came. And, and then right after the Holy Spirit came, there become a time of persecution, great persecution. All the disciples lived, died a horrible death. John the Revelator, he was boiled in oil and thrown out on the Isle of Patmos. The rest of them were directly martyred for being, being beheaded. They were crucified. They were burned at the stake. Some horrible, you read Fox's Book of Martyr, their fingernails were pulled out. They were tortured. They were fed to lions. They were fed to bears. They were, had to go fight for their life among the gladiators. All of this stuff happened, and that happened as the church began to wane and lose their first love. And they, you know, when they were on fire, there was great persecution on the church. The persecution of the church never hurt the church. It only spread the church. When persecution hit Jerusalem, they went to Judea and Samaritan and the other parts of the world on these Roman roads, and the gospel spread across the world like lightning, very quickly. Well, in around uh, 300 A.D., uh, the church had been persecuted for so long, there came a time that uh, Constantine was an emperor for Rome, and he, uh, he prayed this little prayer, God, if you'll help me win this battle tomorrow, I'll, I'll turn my life over to you. And so the next day, he said he saw this vision of some kind of cross, and he said, you can only conquer in the name of the cross. And so something to that effect. And he won. The next day, he went into battle, and he won the war. And, and so from then on, he turned around, and he declared the Christian faith as the, as the only faith. One religion. You go, yay, that's a good thing. Well, maybe. It, it did establish that this is the only authority of Scripture. This is the only church. The problem was all the other false churches, pagan churches, they go, uh-huh. So to keep going, you've got to have Christian on your door. So all the pagan religions, they just started calling themselves Christians. And not that they were truly Christians. They called themselves Christians. They said, okay, what are Christians doing? Christians have statues, and their statues are of dead saints. So they took their pagan statues that they had served as gods, and a lot of them just renamed their statues or gave them a saint name. And they still kindly, they kindly worship God a little bit, and, but they mainly worship paganism. Pergamum, 
the word Pergamum means it means that it's it's a uh, a uh, it means to uh, it's it's a marriage of uh, it's kind of like a marriage the mag uh, the word Pergamagama being marriage it's it's a mixed marriage or mixing uh, covenants you're you're mixing something that's pure with something that's not pure. When Constantine did that, all at once you had this mixture. The pagans come in and they had these robes and th their religion was about being high on the throne and, and you know, they wore these, these elaborate things and they were above the, the people. And, you know, but in the pagan religions, they had sex in their temples. Uh, they had, uh, you know, they offered sacrifices to have, uh, you know, even offered uh, children to have a good crop. There was all kind of abortions and, and murder and children. And you just name it. Everything you can possibly name was happening. And they, were, they had done it in the name of their gods. But now, since Constantine, they were kind of doing it in the name of the God. And there was a mixture of what is true and that which is a lie. And, you know, so you look at today. In, in today's world... It seems that the truth is now considered a lie, and the lies are considered a truth. There's a mixture. There's a mixture in the culture. And so, uh, and, and as you see this, and so he tells us that this book is going to tell you about what was, what is, and what will come. You know, I've never really, maybe the reason we just said we're going to deal with the seven churches of Asia Minor, I really don't want to know what's going to happen from fourth chapter on because I don't plan to be here. How many plans to be gone by the end of the third chapter? Because the rapture, I want to be in the rapture. I, I don't want to stay here and go through this horrible tribulation period. I don't want my children to go through this horrible tribulation period. I want to believe the word of God. But the most important thing, sometimes we get caught up on talking about uh, all these things, the pagan. I didn't want to do a long sermon today on the pagan religions because they're from the pit of hell and there's no need of glorifying. What the story is really about today is that Jesus is the word of the living God. That Jesus is standing there. He knows where they live. He knows they're at the very seat of Satan. He, he was there. He sees it all. He knows every church. He says, I know what you're going through. I know what's going on in that city. And he says, I know where you live. You're living in the very the seat of Satan. Now, in Smyrna, they, it was the synagogue of Satan. Now they're saying that Satan has his throne in Pergamum, and he dwells there. So it, every imaginable thing that you can think of that's promoted by Satan was going on in Pergamum. It was a horrible. If you read about all their gods and their goddesses, it was there that they first started changing over to God. Uh, goddesses, instead of being you know, the God of heaven, it was the queen of heaven. And it's getting where you see that same spirit of the goddesses take place there. It's, it's that, uh, that place. And so what happened to the early church during this time, they begin to talk about the, they have a spirit of the Nicolaitans is the vicar over the laity. It's when the, the, they took on this form of this priestly thing that the laity was way up here. And, I mean, the priests were way up here, the the the. The Pope, the, the, the vicars, the, they were all way up here. The people were way down here. And pretty soon they just began to 
kind of mix in a little of the paganism. A lot of the holidays you've heard people say that, you know, Christmas didn't really happen on that date and Easter and Easter is about fertility. Well, a lot of those people are, are partly quite, quite uh, right in that fact that Istar, uh, goddess, this Istar, it sounds very close like Easter, right? Well, that was a fertile time that uh, this, this goddess got pregnant and the baby came in December. And so they go, well, we're just, we're recognizing these pagan holidays. Well, you got to remember everything that God does, the devil does an anti of. He, he wants to take everything that God has ever done and he wants to make an anti of it. He wants to, it's going to be the opposite of God. And so some things that might have been God's and then the devil laid some pagan practice over the top of it and yet we still worship Jesus' birth we still worship his resurrection it may fall because the church at one time was wrong it may fall on a day but we still claim Easter for the resurrection and we still claim Christmas for the birth of Jesus and so you got to realize that's what it's happened but God sees it all and it wasn't so much of a problem that they, you know, I told you, like, if you went to Philadelphia, it's the city of brotherly love. You go to Los Angeles, it's called the city of angels. Well, last week I told you about Smyrna. It was, uh, I told you about their, their city, about uh, he was alive and dead and alive forevermore. And because their city was destroyed and it brought back to life. And, and so if you go to Pergamon, the name on that city may be called, it's the sincere city. Uh, they were sincere. Have you ever seen people that are sincere, but they're wrong? You remember the guy out in California that he told people if they drink this Kool-Aid, they'd sincerely go to be with Jesus, and they sincerely found him all over the ground dead? Well, some people are sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. I want you to say sincere real slow. Sin, seared, and just put an ED on it. The Bible says in the last days that people, because they believe a lie, they walk in a lie, they won't accept the truth, eventually their minds are seared. They believe a lie and they're going to be damned. That, that men are going to be with men and women with men, women and they're going to be so messed up. Read it in Romans writing. And he tells them, now they're going to be sincere. We're living in a society today that all that matters is that you're sincere. Well, they're so sincere. And we should be accommodating. We should be a loving people. Well, we are to be a loving people. And we, are to, we should recognize that some people. But we also need to tell them that they may be sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. They're sincerely wrong. And we say, well, you know, it's not popular in school today. And I understand kids, they can get bullied not just in school anymore. They can get bullied all week long on the Internet. But, you know, on the Internet, somebody may give you a, you want to get a thumbs up, and you kind of get a thumbs down, you, and that just ruins your whole week. But in this time, you were, the Caesar was there, and he wanted to be recognized as Lord. And if you didn't do what they said, and you would be thrown to the lions or to the bears, or you would be toyed with in a, Colosseum until this Lord uh, Caesar put his thumb down and you'd be uh, capitated, your head would come off. They're saying, we even noticed, God said, I, I know what's going on. You're in the very seat of Satan and you were there when Antipas was killed. Well, how did Antipas die? 
they took and put him in a brass cow and they put him in there and put water in there and they built a fire under it and that fire came up underneath that that cow and began to cook and they cooked Antipas alive as the steam began to steam up it came out of the cow's nose and as he screamed his yells of pain come out sound like a cow mooing and that was to one of their gods and they said you were there and you saw that and you still remain faithful to me here's the thing are we going to be faithful to the end are we going to be faithful see the we don't want to we want to be sincere with god uh, in the Bible, when he said we needed sincere re religion, that meant religion without wax. Uh, and the reason they used that, they used to take a, uh, uh, a pitcher, and you know, if it had a crack in it, they would rub wax in it and then do the little painting over it, and they would sell these pitchers, these, these jugs, as, uh, but then when you put something in them, it would leak because they were not sincere. And so the word sincere meant without wax. If you're going to buy something, you wanted it without wax because it would hold water. How many knows we've got some Christians that may not be sincere? That they're, and persecution, as we found with the, uh, uh, the Ephesus church, had uh, one thing they needed to correct. Smyrna didn't have anything they needed to correct. They went through persecution. Persecution purifies. And so now we get to Pergamon. They got a few things. As, as the time goes on, there gets to be more and more over periods of time from the, uh, the Ephesus age and then the Smyrna age and then the Perma, uh, Pergamum age. These are periods of time that the church were going through some things. They really went through it, but it has, it, it has a bigger picture. God is seeing what was, what is, and then what is to come all at one time. And so you kind of have to separate that. Here's the thing. The enemy's headquarter is actually all around us. I mean, he knows that, you know, people say, well, the devil's in hell. No, wherever the devil is, that's hell. Some of you got the devil in your marriage, and it's hell in your marriage. Some of you, there's things that you were supposed to take authority over, and you didn't, and you're living in the hell of that. You know, they told the deacons they could have a little bit of wine for the stomach's sake, and, you know, Jesus had wine for communion. But, you know, he said if you take too much of it, that it's a sin. If you do it to the point of drunkenness, it's a sin. Uh, you know, medicines is okay, but if you go in excess of that, any area of your life you don't take dominion over will eventually destroy you. Amen. Dave Ramsey, for a lot of years I listened to Dave Ramsey, he said you could be financially free. You could be, you could be at financial peace. Well, when I got that and I began to understand that and I began to believe that and I began to see that, you know, we began to try to practice to being, uh, you know, get out of debt. And, you know, we're about 95% there. We're almost there. And you say, well, you're pretty old to be just getting there. I know it. I should have started when I was about 20, but I didn't know. But I'm going to tell you something. It feels good that you're telling your money where to go and your money's not telling you where to go. It's good that you're not just paying interest, but you're getting interest. Because you've taken dominion over it. And my health, my mom and dad died, and they were just 17 years older than me. And I got to thinking, man, I, you know, they, most of their age, they were doing better than I was doing. So I got serious, and some of you go, you've lost a lot of weight. My biggest motivation is I want to tell my body what to eat. I don't want my body telling me what I'm going to eat. 
and I, I started seeing this principle, and the principle is it doesn't matter if you live in hell. You know, in, in back in the days, uh, in the 60s, when young men were coming back from Vietnam, they would sometimes say, they'd say, I know I'm going to heaven because I just spent two years in hell. And, you know, they, they were probably not far off from being correct because wherever the devil is allowed to run uh, and, and not uh, backed off is hell. He will destroy your marriage. He'll destroy your life. He'll destroy your family. He'll destroy your kids unless you take authority. So here's the problem. Jesus said, I know where you live. You live in the very pit of hell. But here's the thing. You've got a calling, and your calling needs to be stronger than your culture. We're living in a society today that we're letting our culture dictate what our calling should be. We've got to turn that around. No, when Jesus and the disciples came into the town, the culture didn't tell them what to do. They told the culture what to do. They took authority over it. Compromise is when the ground, uh, the ground to, uh, we, we give ground to culture over the authority of God's word. It's been a long time that America has given our culture more authority than they've given God's word. The results of this, we claim a faith that we sometimes are not practicing or not preaching. You know the areas that you'll be the you'll let up on your kids on. You say, "Oh, kids, I don't want you watching this. If they know you're watching stuff you shouldn't be watching, then you have a tendency not to say anything about what they're watching because it makes you a hypocrite as a parent." When we look at these things in our life, we normally don't want to preach what we're doing, right? We want to preach what, I mean, we, what we're doing good. We'll preach that, but I tell you, I tell you, I got this under control. We don't want to preach much about the things we don't have under control. We all, we, we, you know, they said in the last days there'd be people preaching to itching ears. They will tell people what they want to hear. Why? We want to be accepted in our culture. Well, to be accepted in your culture is not always the best thing in your life to have dominion in your culture is a great thing but so he tells us small compromises leads to major change Samson one of the strongest men that ever walked this earth he was strong the things that he could do he killed a thousand men with a jawbone of an ass and the guy was amazing but he finally laid his head in a woman's lap and finally he told him that her his secrets and pretty soon he was uh, bound if we don't be careful, we're going to be bound. So what was happening in Pergamon, they had mixed Christianity with the world. He said, there's some in your church teaching the doctrine of Balaam. There's people in your church teaching the, 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 the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Which that was back when they began to have authority over the people. They began to change all kind of doctrinal issues. Uh, the church began to be this universal church that had this great power. They were special in the eyes of Rome. Uh, and you, and until there was a guy named Martin Luther that said, Hey, y'all practice some stuff ain't in the Word. That is not in the Word. You know, we don't have to go through you to get to God. We can just go straight to God. He's our, he's our high priest. You're not the priest. I don't have to come to you. You're not my father. He's my father. And they began to, they began to, he began to protest what the 
at that time, the Catholic Church, all churches have had a period of time they were probably doing great for God. Then they come time they begin to get cold, weak, in uh, in most denominations. At one time, they were on fire for God. At sometimes they weakened in the face, and pretty soon they had doctrines that wasn't uh, according to God's word. So I'm not throwing off on any organization at periods of time. All of them may have been doing a great work. But Martin Luther said, that is not in God's word. We're justified by faith. And so he began to be a uh, protester, and it was time to, that they were, he built, you know, there was a press there. He got literature out, and pretty soon there was a bunch of people that was protesting with him. And so Martin Luther and the Protestants were, began to have the name the Protestant Church. The Protestant Church. And which we most, you know, we're here today, we're Protestant. And we protest anything that's not according to God's word. But the Protestant church has got to wake up now. The Protestant church has got to wake up. And so if you're lulled to sleep, if you're around culture too much, and you don't stand up for the word of God, eventually it'll get to you. But I only get now to this thing about Jesus being the word with the two-edged sword. That's the most important point in this whole sermon when you were born again you were born to win I want you to get that when you were born uh, uh, again I told you the problem uh, here I'm our, uh, you know the problem I'm going to talk about the promise here in a minute but you were born God when he calls you to be born again you were born to win that's what God wanted for you God does not expect you to be defeated by the world or by the flesh, or by the devil, even if you're living where the devil's all about you. You know, it is not the water uh, on the outside of the boat that hurts it, it's water in the boat. And so God saved you, and God gave you dominion. God means for you to rule over this earth as kings and priests and have dominion. Jesus taught dominion uh, of the kingdom of God from the very point that he come to earth. He told the disciples, he said, I give you all authority. Everybody say all. all. In the Greek, that means all. All authority over all the powers of the devil. He said, I want you to go and I want you to cast out devils. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. All of them. I want you to take authority. So one day he sends the 12 out. and He says, I want you to go out and do this in my name. They went out and they came back and they were jumping up and down. They were excited and they said, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. The, the blind see, the deaf hear, the, the lame walk, and, and even the devils are subject to your name. And Jesus said, don't rejoice over that. Rejoice because your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so, yet you see that God meant for them to have authority. He told the disciples that they were to go and take authority. He tells us to pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He already cast the devil out of heaven. He already put the devil under his foot in heaven. Now he tells his disciples, his church, I want you to put the devil under your feet. I don't care where he lives. Uh, it doesn't matter where the devil's at. I know right now he's considered the God of this world. He's only the God of the world where the church is not. Because when the church moves into town, the devil is under the church's feet. Because the church is to have dominion over the devil. So here's the thing. Here's the principle. We can never be over the things that God has put under us until we're under those things that God has put over us. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Until we get under this authority, we can't get over the devil. We can't get over the schemes of the devil. See, there's all kind of schemes of the devil, and he's played the same schemes over. What he's talking about at the church of Pergamum happened in the book of Numbers. That spirit of Balaam, where he couldn't, he went to curse God's people, but God wouldn't let him curse them. And so what did he do? He went, and he uh, finally, they told him, well, I, I'm not allowed by God to curse them, but if you'd send some sexy women down there, I think they'll, and how many churches have been destroyed because of sexy women? Because somebody got their eye off of God and got their eye on something they weren't supposed to have. But it's the truth. You know, we had great revivals in the 60s and 70s. And most of some of the, a lot of the main ministers that were lights that had thousands and hundreds of thousands saved fell. Not by persecution, not by anything else, but they were led astray by a woman. They got mixed and they began to let things go and they let things get lax and eventually it destroyed them and destroyed some of their ministries. So we can never be over anything until we're under it. I often tell people that you know works here, until you learn to be a servant, you can never be served. You know, uh, I mean, if you don't learn how to serve, you will never learn how to, to be a leader. You first got to learn to follow before you can lead. You got to be a servant before you can be uh, over servants. And it's true. You'll never be over those things that God has put under us until we're under those things that God has put over us. That is, God does not give the kingdom authority to rebels. So we have to yield to God and his word. If you have a rebellious spirit, no wonder God cannot trust you with the kingdom authority. He'll never do it. And we find being born again not with corruptible seed, but with incorruptible seed by the word of God. Do you know all through the scripture that that's what they call the word of God? The, the word of God. The word of God. This is the word of God. Acts 4 and 31. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Romans 10, 17. So faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. Ephesians 6, verse 17, and they take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4 and 12, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the God that's standing at the church at Perma, the God who has the two-edged sword. And it tells us, Thessalonians 2, 13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because we receive the Word of God, which we heard up to us. We received it not as the words of men, we received it. As the truth, the word of God. See, we will never have authority again as the church until we believe the word. Until preachers in this pulpit start preaching the word of God. Not their theories, not their culture, not their stories. They preach the word of God. The word of God will convict people. That's, we, the church has got to get back to the word of God. And for a long time now, we've, we've made that. We're going to be preaching out of this book every week. Over 500 times in the first five books of the Bible, it's called my word. God says it. Over 1,000 times the prophets say this is my word. Over 4,000 times the Old Testament, the Bible is alluded that this is the word of God. 44 times in the New Testament, it's the word of God. If you really believe that the Bible is the word of God, if you really believe that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. See, it's either this is either God's words or it's just some fable. 
It's not worth preaching. It's not worth living. But if this is the true unadulterated word of God, it should be read daily. It should be memorized. It should be your favorite book. It's not the book of the year. It's the book of the ages. And it should be treated like that. These are the love letters of God to us. They're the word of God. And he tells the church, he said, if you, he said, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Well, how do you know if you're listening to what the Spirit is saying to the church in these last days? If you're listening to the Spirit, you, if you hear Him, you need to heed Him. I'm going to tell you, parents, they'll tell their child to do something. And they said, did you hear what I said? Why would they say that? Do you hear what I, they were sitting right in front of you? Did you hear what I said? Because it, it's an insult to you as a parent if you tell them something and they hear you and then they don't do anything about it. It means they, they do not respect your authority as a parent. They hear you, but it's like one in, I don't care. I don't, you said it. I heard you, but I'm not doing it. That's disrespect. And I'm going to tell you what, you'll never have authority as long as you're treating your, the Word of God this way. If God says jump, you go, how high, God? If God says it, you will believe it and you will do it. I think about Mary in the Scripture. Mary, you know, she, the angel come to her and said, Mary, you're going to have a baby. She goes, well, i got a problem. You know, I know about science and stuff. And science says you've got to have a man and a woman and they have to, you know, have this act before you can have a baby. Angel said, well, I'm telling you, God's word said you're going to have a baby. And she said, well, what about science? I don't know about science. All I'm telling you, the word of God said you're going to have a baby. And so finally, Mary said, Lord, according to your word, be it unto me. At that point, the seed of God's word came in her. And after nine months, a baby came forth, and that baby's name was the word of God. That was a visual picture of what happens to all of us when we receive the word of God with gladness. When we believe it's more than just the words of man and we believe it as the word of the living God. That word takes hold of us. And you know, whatever you're needing from God, you take that word in and you cover yourself in that word in the blood and you cherish that word inside of you because you realize it's just a matter of time until that vision, that dream, that hope, that prayer is birthed forth and it comes to life. Here's what happened. Mary, finally after nine months, she had a baby, just like God said, because she said, "Be it." it didn't matter what science said, God said. You may have went to the doctor, and the doctor said, there's no way you're going to be healed. I want you to say, but God says, I can. I want us to start believing God over science, God over everything. You know, you go, well, Brother Dennis, what if, what if science comes along, and, you know, you know what, if, what, if, what about science? Well, I'm going to tell you something about science. Don't worry about science. One day they'll catch up with the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you something. It does not give me any greater faith in the Word of God if something here that science have not believed for centuries and they come out with an article and they finally believe it, it does not inspire the Word of God. The Word of God I have was already inspired before the science. While the science were against it, God said it was going to be so. How many things in science today that years ago was not believed, but today it is? But do we have to wait until some scientist tells us that the word is true? Or do we make up our mind the word is true? I don't care what scientists say. I don't care what the public says. I don't care what the politically uh, correct 
crowd says, I'm going to believe the word of God, period. Why? Because until you're under this authority, you'll never be over those things in your life that you need to take authority over. It don't happen. Mary was around the word. She birthed the word. She was around the word. She fed the word. She put the word to sleep. She changed the word's diapers. Uh, she took care of the word. One of the times she went to the temple and the word was running around there with some other kids and she couldn't find him. And actually they left and didn't know that the word wasn't with her. And the word was in the temple talking to the the the. the the, the teachers in the temple and Mary come back and said hey where you been you're supposed to be with us and at that day something changed in Mary's life up until that time the word had, she had had authority over the word she was the parent over the word she told the word well, you know but then after that day he said but mom, I had to be about my father's business. What was Jesus saying that day? He was saying, you know, we've done this long enough. I've been your earthly baby, but I'm the word. I'm the eternal word. God is my father. And i got to be about his business. And for what needs to take place, I can't be under your authority. i got to be fully under his authority. And I've got to go, and I'm going to walk out in the desert. I'm going to take authority over the devil. And I'm going to take authority over the sick. And I'm going to take authority over the lame and the blind and the deaf and the dumb. I'm going to take authority over the those that die. They're going to be raised again. But I'm going to do it in the name of the living God. I am the word of God, the preexistent word of God. The everlasting word of God. The incorruptible word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away. But not one jot or tittle of this word will pass away. I'm telling you. Got to get back to the word. I want to uh, share with you something. Uh, uh, Billy Graham. And I'm, I'm about to stop here if the worship team. I want to tell you a, a few things here. The Roman emperor Diocletian back in 308. 303 A.D., he, he made a, uh, he, he, at the time he said, no more word. And he took the Bible and he burnt the Bible. And on the ashes of the burnt Bible, he set up a monument. And on the monument was written this. It was written, of course, in their language. But, but here's what the interpretation of what he wrote. In the name of Christians, the name of Christian is extinct. In other words, I just put a stop to Christianity. And he built a monument. 22 years later, even though he had the wrong motive, 22 years later, Constantine, in 325 A.D., he made the word of God the only word. <laughs> Tell me God's not in control. Tell me God's not in control. God is almighty. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It's what this word says. It's what this word says. I read this article by Billy Graham. And it's a little bit, not too long, but I won't read it to you. Billy Graham, an article, he said, I want you to listen to what he says here. He's talking about biblical authority. And in his area of ministry was evangelism. And it's an article. He said, no one, he says, no one who wants heard Jesus could ever, ever be the same again. 
And what was the secret of this master teacher, Billy Graham said? How did he hold those crowds spellbound? And then he quotes this, Matthew 7, verse 28, 29. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished his, at his doctrine, for he taught them with having authority. What did I tell you? You can't, be, you can't have authority until you get under authority. Jesus would get up in the morning and go to pray, and he said, i got to be about my father's business. Billy Graham gives this testimony. He said, in 1949, I had been having a great many doubts concerning the Bible. I thought I saw apparent contradictions in the scripture, some things I could not reconcile with my restricted concept of God. When I stood up to preach the authority that's so characteristic of all the great preachers of the past was lacking. I didn't preach with authority, he said. Like hundreds of other young seminary students, I was waging an intellectual battle of my life. I was trying to convince people's minds, you know, to believe in Christ. The outcome could certainly affect my future ministry. But he said, in August of that year, I had been invited to Forest Home Presbyterian Conference Center, high in the mountains outside of Los Angeles. I remember walking down a trail into the woods, and I, I just felt like my spirit was wrestling with God's spirit. I dueled with my doubts, and my soul seemed to be caught up in this crossfire between my head knowledge and my heart. Finally, in desperation, I surrendered my will to the living God and his revealed scriptures. I knelt before an open Bible and said, Lord, many things in this book I do not understand, but thou hast said in Galatians 3.11 that the just shall live by faith. All I have received of thee I have taken by faith. Here and now, by faith, I accept the Bible as thy word. I take it all. I take it without reservation. Where there are things I cannot understand, I will reserve judgment until I receive more light. If this pleases thee, give me authority to claim thy word. And through that authority, convict me of sin and turn sinners to the Savior. Then he went on to say within six weeks, he started the Los Angeles revival, the crusade, which is now history, he said. During that crusade, I discovered a secret that changed my entire life and ministry. I stopped trying to prove God's word. I quit trying to prove the Bible was true. And I settled in my own heart and mind that it was. And this faith was conveyed to the audience. Over and over again, I find myself holding up a Bible and said, and I'd say, the Bible says... And I felt though I was, merely not, I was merely a voice through which the Holy Spirit was speaking. Authority created by faith. Faith generated a response and hundreds of people responded. Hundreds of people were impelled to come to Christ. A crusade scheduled for three weeks lasted eight weeks with hundreds of thousands of people in attendance. The people were not coming to hear a great orator. Nor were they interested in, merely in my ideals. I found they were desperately hungry to hear God, what God had to say. And through his word, I felt like I had a sword. And I was using a sword, a rapier, in my hand as though the power of the Bible was slashing deeply into men's conscience, leading them to surrender to God. 
Doesn't the Bible say in Hebrews 4 and 12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and joints and marrow, and the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I found the Bible to be a flame in my hands, he said. That flame melted away the unbelief in the hearts of people and moved them to decide for Christ. The word became like a hammer breaking stony hearts and shaping them into the likeness of God. But did not Jeremiah 5 and 14 say, I will make my words and thy mouth fire, and is not my word like a fire and a hammer that breaks the rocks to pieces? He went on to say, it is my conviction that the preaching of the gospel is the authoritative, is to be authoritative. If it is to produce conviction of sin, if it is to challenge men and women to walk in newness of life, if it is to be attended by the spirit and power, the Bible with this discerning, piercing, burning message must become basis of preaching. I use this phrase, the Bible says, because the word of God is the authority of our faith. Romans 10, 17 said, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The problem is not intellectual. He said, if you're not following the Bible today, it's not an intellectual problem. It's, Billy said, I, when I surrendered my will, everything got settled. Your problem is not uh, your problem is not your head. Your problem is your heart. The problem is not in your will. You don't have an intellectual problem. If you don't believe the Bible, you have a moral problem. You notice we normally just don't believe the Bible in the areas that we want to live and do what we want to do in. Your problem comes not out of your head, but out of your heart. The Bible says in Hebrews three twelve, beware lest there be any of you with an evil heart. That causes unbelief. An evil heart will cause you to disbelieve this word. If the Bible says that we were created, then I say we were created. I don't care how many scientists say that we, there may be some levels of evolution, but it didn't come for man. Man was created by God. Created by God. I don't care what political uh, the political arena says or the you know uh, the politically correct we got to get back to this word says this. This is all we're going to believe. This is what we're going to believe. Because until we come under this, we'll now have authority over that, the devil, and the schemes of the devil. There's a lot of schemes of the devil out there today. We're living in the very pit of hell right here today. There's so, our, there's so many things right now that are not under the authority of God's word in our land. How many knows that to be true? When is that going to change? It's when we take authority over it. When we go, that's not going to happen no more. And you know, there's people across this world every day losing their job because they're going, it's not going to happen no more with me. It ain't going to happen no more with me. I drew the line. And you know, the Bible told, he told the disciples, he said, you're going to be my witnesses. You know what the word witness means? You're going to be my martyrs. They were all, all murdered for the gospel's sake. I, te I tell you, what makes a believer, you know, I can tell you something, you may not believe it, but it's how... It's how dedicated I am to that that I'm telling you I believe. But when someone tells you that they believe in Jesus and they would die to the fact that he died and rose from the dead and he saw him, 500 witnesses saw him, and those witnesses, for the most part, gave their life for what they saw and heard. When somebody goes, I believe this, and I don't care whether you believe it or not, I'll die for what I believe, makes a believer out of you. God's doing stuff in this world, and what we think is going on is not what's going on. Did you know that 
out of all the places that the internet is being used for pornography, you know the area that the internet's being used right now is in Iran. It's using to look up about Christianity. Just recently, it was the number one thing they were looking for in Iran. I don't know if you know it, but uh, uh, Ukraine was one of the areas of the world that sent out more missionaries than in almost anywhere else. Now, I'll tell you what, now that Russia's coming in, a lot of those people are being moved. They're going to different areas of Europe. Well, there's some other displaced people in the areas of Europe. A lot of Muslims that's been displaced. I think a revival is fixing to take place in Europe. Did you know that I could tell you that there were a bunch of churches and steeples burned by uh, China? They would take down their steeples. They'd take down their, uh, you know, if they had, uh, you know, uh, saints, they'd tear all that down. They would burn their buildings. But I'm telling you, they didn't burn one church because the church is not a building. The saints went underground, the church. There's more people coming to Christ every day in China than basically anywhere else in the world. It's not what it seems. And I'm going to tell you, by the time we get to the end of the third chapter in Revelation, the church is gone. Now, if you want to stay here with the doubters, the unbelievers, the politically correct, stay here. I don't want to stay here. I don't really care a whole lot about explaining to you what's going to happen if you stay here. But I wouldn't want to be here. I want to be out of here. I want to be out of here. I want my kids out of here. I don't know if this happened now is fixing to blow up into World War III. It could. Eventually, uh, Russia and Iran and Turkey and uh, which, uh, Iran used to be Persia, all of them's going to converge on Israel. The Bible talks about it's like a, 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 a hook being put in the bear in Russia, Gog and Magog. All this stuff is biblical. You go, well, I don't know that book of Revelation. I don't know whether I'm going to believe that or not because, you know, it's all mystery. There's things in the Bible where they said there's millions and millions and millions that are going to march and there's going to be a war. When this was written, there was not that many million of people on the face of the earth. So when you start looking at, if you start looking at the book of Revelation and when he said it, those things didn't even exist, I think God gave it to him. But you know, I don't care whether you believe it, and God don't care whether I believe it. It's so anyway. People just said, you know, I, I, you know, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. No, God said it, and that settles it, whether you believe it or not. But you know where your faith's going to come from? Your faith's going to come when you go, I just read this in here, and this is what God says, and I'm going to believe it. And you close the Bible, and that settles it. You don't take the last word of the doctor. You don't take the last word. And, you know, you may be sick and you may die. If it is, it was God's will. Sometimes suffering, as I showed you, it's God's will. But I tell you what, until God says it's your last breath, I'm going to believe him and his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, it's just a timely time that we're in this book of, of Revelation and these churches. You're trying to tell us something. God, you said, listen to what the Spirit, I believe the Spirit is saying some things to some people today. You said, listen to what the Spirit is saying. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. How do we know if we're hearing the Spirit? Then we're heeding what the Spirit says. If you're not heeding what you're hearing, then you're a disobedient. You're disobedient. Jesus said he was going to come to that church of Pergamum. 
and he was going to come against them, not the church, them that was bringing the false doctrine into the church. He was commending the church, but he said he's fixing to put an end to them that was bringing in this doctrine of Baal and the Nicolaitans. And God, we don't want to be a part of anything that's not your word. God, we want to repent. And God, you told each one of these churches, even though you commended it, you told them to repent and listen to what the Spirit is saying. God, this altar is not just for sinners. It's for the church to continue to repent and get right with you. And God, I pray today that you would wake us up and cause us to be the true and living church that stand upon the Word of God. And when we take the authority of God's Word, we can stand over all the powers and the schemes of the devil. In Jesus' name we pray right now. Amen.